Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 131. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us for a fourth time the award-winning, internationally celebrated author, Amy Lawrence. Amy. Hi. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing all right. So it was funny. Last time we were talking, we said, "Listen, you 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 were here in episode fifty three, then seventy three, then ninety three, and we said you have to come back in episode one thirteen. You missed it, but it's one thirty one, which is the same digits. It's just close enough. I was actually just thinking. I'm like, is one thirty one a prime number? Did we manage to hit the prime numbers at least? I don't know. I don't know. Let me ask my my. I'm gonna let me let me ask my assistant. Okay. Alexa, right. is one thirty one a prime number? One hundred thirty one is a prime number. Hey, all right. No. <laughs> we might have missed one thirteen, but we did at least hit another prime number. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So let me ask you. So you've had you you once again. It's uh it's been a it's been a few months. Um, I I need I see some new books that are on your website. So. Yep, uh, one with an ice cream cone on the cover. I saw that. Yep, yep. And did that go through Kickstarter? Because you said you were, you were thinking about doing that one through, through Kickstarter. Oh, man. Last year was just like an entire year of like changing plans constantly. Like right. it was nothing, nothing went. Like, I pulled out my business plan at the end of December <laughs> to be like, so what did I achieve on my business plan? I'm like, lol jokes, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so this year I'm not even bothering writing a business plan, I'm going to be honest. Because right. it's just like getting back on track from last year. So, no, um, the ice cream book happened. Right. Oh, my gosh. That was – I don't remember when we talked last time. Had I, I think I had just finished the writing workshop that I was running during the July school holidays, and that's when the ice cream book happened. Mm, I don't remember. No, that. this was before. I didn't know. There was no writing okay. workshop. Yeah. So um, I have this – amazing gig going where I run a writing workshop uh, once a year in July for five days for young kids like ages 8 to 14 sort of thing um, and it's a franchise and so I just get given all the course materials and just have to rock up and deliver it which given oh, I am cool. a teacher in my day job is like mm-hmm, yep can do with one hand behind my back we're good um, <laughs> paid to be there so that's really nice and I don't have to deal with any of the admin or anything because it's all done through the franchise owner um, and so anyway I was teaching this course and on the second day I'm like really need to just like come up with an example to demonstrate to these kids this thing and it was something like to do with the fact that you know your character needs to have obstacles in the way of their goal but that those obstacles need to be personal and individualized to the character and to their skills and abilities and so I said you know if someone is a champion athlete then maybe having to win a skating race is not a big deal to them but to someone like me that would be a huge deal because I am not coordinated you know like this is, this is not within my skill set so and I just started coming up with this example off the top of my head to make and make it really cool and interesting for the kids I was like yes so we're doing this like ice cream we're doing this skating race on ice cream because we are it's just what we're doing now anyway it just started spiraling and the kids loved it 
And so um, I ended up getting a bunch of them wanted to be characters in the story. And so the whole book is like name drops, like every named character in that book is someone I know in person <laughs> name to be in it. Um, and yeah, it just, it just started happening and it just rolled and it was easy and it was fun. And I hadn't, you know, I had a really bad writing year last year. Um, I know a lot of authors and creatives really struggled in 2020 with COVID. And I think right. for me that was last year because in Australia we were really lucky and we didn't really um, experience a lot of uh, the COVID was around and it did impact us, but particularly in Canberra where I live, you know, we had a five-week lockdown in March, April, right. and that was about all we had to deal with all year. Whereas this year, you know, we had a solid three months off school where we had to do remote learning and there's been masks all year and all. So I think this year for me, like 2021 for me, was really my bottoming out creatively when it comes to things like that. So I had right. a very slow writing year. So, yeah, having something like this to, like, just really enjoy with no pressure and no goal other than just making these kids happy, you know? Like it was it was just so much fun. I had a blast writing it and it's turned into this little um, mystery. It's a mystery book mm -hmm. that's set in this world, yeah, where they have um, this snow queen who magically freezes the ice cream for them every year and they have this giant pond full of magically frozen, deep frozen ice cream that they go skating on. Um, and he has to, the main character, George, is put in a situation where he has to win this race because they need they need this money that comes with the prize money. And, um, yeah, away he goes. So, yeah, I was going to do a Kickstarter for it, and I think that I'll include it in a Kickstarter at some point because I went ahead and bought all the test items for a fan kit mini for it. Okay. Um, I'm super excited because I don't know if you remember, but when, whenever we do the fan kits or the fan kit minis, there's always a snack item. A snack in there, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, and I have managed to source at a reasonable price that I can put into the fan kits dehydrated ice cream. <laughs> I'm like, I have to do this. I have to do this. Um, but, yeah, no, the timing just didn't work out in the second half of the year. So with, with Inkprint Press, we normally publish about six main titles a year on top of the inklets. Last year we published ten. Wow. And five of those came out in the final three months of the year <laughs> when I was returning to full-time work after lockdown and getting my children back into their schooling and dealing with end-of-year finals and reports. And, yeah, I'm a sane person, really. I am, I promise, somewhere in the deep, dark depths of my brain. Mm. <laughs> so... Yeah, short version, we didn't really have space for it in the calendar because I also, uh, Taya Van Deep and one of our authors and one of my friends, uh, we ended up pulling together a collection for her kitten psychologist stories. Okay. We released that in August. And I was just like, you know what? What the heck? Let's run a Kickstarter for it. So literally within, it was it was 72 hours from the time I pitched to her, let's run a Kickstarter to, hey, by the way, the Kickstarter's live and running. <laughs> um, and we just ran a week Kickstarter for it, and that was great, and that went really well, and we were really happy with that. And then our priority after that with Kickstarters was to get um, Liana Brooks's. Yeah, there it is. The blue cover is the the collection that's got all six of those other stories in it. Okay. They're very cute. It's very adorable. It's a little um, mini series, so it's a collection of six short stories about a psychologist who accidentally finds themselves acting as the psychologist for their friend's kitten. <laughs> so they're like on Skype with their friends and the friends leave the room and all of a sudden the kitten pops up and starts talking and the psychologist is like okay not what I expected also 
you know, you're paying me to deal with your kitten issues. So, okay, this is good. Um, but the friends don't know that the cat talks. And so there is fallout. There is fallout. Uh, and it, they're just, they're really cute and heartwarming. Um, and, you know, people love cats. That's a great concept too. Yeah. yeah. It's really cute. It's really cute. So, so yeah. Know. Oh, go sorry. Ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say then our priority for the rest of the year was working on Liana Brooks's um, Time and Shadows series, re-releasing that. Oh, right. Um, she was doing a re-release of that. Yeah. yeah. And we wanted to do a rapid re-release of that and get out all three books in three months. And so that was October, November, December that they came out. Uh, the first one is the day before, and that page arranges alphabetically, so you'll have to hit show more and scroll down if you want to see okay. the first Um. Yeah, and that was great. Like, so that that was her first trilogy that came out with HarperCollins originally uh, and then went out of print for a bit. So it's that bright one in the middle there with the police lights, the red and blue. Yeah. Right. Um, and, yes, yeah, so that went through with HarperCollins um, and she's got the rights back to that, so we thought we'd bring that out with a new cover. We did a re-edit of them and in the process realised that somehow accidentally the third book had gone to press with two chapters missing. Oh wow! Uh, so that was that was our mad scramble at the end of November. Was like, you know, I, I flicked her. I I was doing the final proofs on it, expecting it to just take a weekend to do, and then I realised that there was stuff missing. So it turned into a mad scramble where she had to like pull together the, the missing chapters and things like that. Um, but we got that done in time, so that was good. And yeah, that was our Kickstarter priority. So because of that, and because of the extra work that that had taken, I decided to skip the kickstarter for ice cream book mm. but as i said you know dehydrated ice cream it's better be in a kickstarter somewhere so it'll it'll happen at some point <laughs> right. i mean yeah you already sourced it you already sourced the, the yeah. fan kit piece for it yeah no did you so you did the, all the uh content not content editing what is it what's the editing called that you uh, line editing so you did all the line editing for yeah for that so that was one of the things being a part of ink print ink print press is that you kind of did that for the other authors for leanna yeah, and your sure. other authors yeah. Yeah. yeah and we're really lucky in that uh liana is a freelance content editor right and i do freelance line editing as well so we between the two of us we we're well equipped to handle all the edits for the press and so yeah I do the formatting, I do the covers and the blurbs, and I do the line edits. But you also mentioned on your website that you do do content editing. You're just, it's not your strength. Yeah. 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 I mean, perforce, I'm, I'm equipped to do it because I, you know, I do it on a re reasonably regular basis, particularly with Liana's uh, books and bouncing ideas back and forth with her. But right. yeah, line edits is really my specialty and, and she's great at content edits. So, yeah. So, so let me ask you, somebody who's a professional editor and, and writer, do you recommend content editing first, then line editing? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Because yeah. your content edits are often going to come back with things like, um, you know, this character's motivation is not clear. You need to beef that up in the early chapters so the reader can really resonate with what their goals and aims are or this subplot is confusing. You need to tie it back into the main subplot more effectively. I think it's, it's really big picture things like that. Right. And if you go and do line edits first, then often 
you know, you end up wasting the line edits basically because right. you can't necessarily guarantee that everything you've line edited is actually going to make it through the content edits anyway. So, so from a business perspective, for any of our viewers that are our viewers or listeners out there, would they, um, how would that work if they say, Hey, can you edit my, I have a manuscript, I put it together, it's 30,000 yeah. words. Um, would you then get like a price and then, like say subcontract out like the content editing part first or how? how so often, work? no, often what happens is you end up hiring two different editors um, because as I said, like, even though I can do content edits, right. line is really my specialty. Um, and it is a reasonably different skill set doing right. content edits and line edits because content uh -huh. edits is, is so big picture. And it is all about that macro. How do these, jigsaw pieces of the scenes fit together how does the arc of the character work and have you got all of the pieces in place for that there and do you have all of your arcs starting at the right place to complement each other and to end you know to really land your ending satisfyingly those sorts of things whereas the line edits is more on that micro level of is this the optimal way to express what you're trying to express okay. this is the emotion you're trying to hit with the readers here have you done that? Could you do that more effectively? Are you telling a little bit too much where you could be showing some more? Is the character's voice really coming through in this scene? Do we really have a clear understanding of how that character is feeling? And is that guiding us then as the as the reader as to how we should be feeling in this scene? So it's really that, that micro level of, okay, yep, yeah, we know what you're trying to achieve and you've got those building blocks in place. Now are we doing that optimally? You know, it's like bones and muscle versus skin. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Or, so or skeletons and bones and muscle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah bones and muscle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess it would be like, you know, content is like your skeleton and your connective tissue. Line edits is your your muscle and sinew on that. Right. And then your copy editing is your skin where right. you and your proofreading where you'd like, you know, typos, make sure you spelled the same thing right in multiple different places, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah, so the, okay. So line editing is different than yeah. copyright. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's actually three different levels. Like there's four different levels of editing. You've got your content editing, which you can split into as well, because you can have just a, a really macro level content edit where you just get uh, like an editing letter in response, and it really just talks in broad brush strokes. Or then you can have the next level down of the content edits where it's going through and actually leaving comments in the manuscript and going, okay, this place could be changed and this could place and making those more specific suggestions. Then your line editing, again, is about that phrasing, the order in which you're presenting information as well. So sometimes I'll give authors feedback of like, okay, you've introduced this here. Would that maybe be better introduced if you pulled this paragraph back to the beginning of the chapter? Or if you move this paragraph to the end of the scene, that actually ends the scene on a stronger note and it's a bit more powerful in terms of like pulling the reader onto the next scene. So right. it's, a you know, that that massaging of by on paragraph by paragraph and, and sentence by sentence sort of level to get that emotion um, through. And then you've got copy editing, which is often um, focused on consistency, whether that's, you know, you're writing sci-fi or fantasy and you've got made up names and term terminology and you need someone to make sure that you've used those consistently. Um, so, for example, when we're doing Liana Brooks's Fleet of Malik books, we have we've got a dictionary there so we know which terms get capitalised um, and which ones don't. And then you've got proofreading, which is your very, very final check of just like, yep, are there still any typos remaining? 
Right. Um, and yeah, in that copy editing also, that's where style guides come in. So if you want to, if you need it edited to a particular house style guide, that's that'll come in the copy editing level. And often that's bundled together. Like I'll do line edits and copy edits in the same. And you know, people will often just pay for a proofread, but I'll do copy editing stuff while I'm there because I'm there and it's a mistake and I noticed it, so I might as well point it out. You know, um, so there's a little bit of fluidity between them, um, and you certainly wouldn't expect. If you were going to go and self-publish, you wouldn't expect to pay necessarily for four separate rounds of edits. Um, that would just be price prohibitive for most people. So most of the time people are going to look at doing maybe a content edit um, if they don't have a really strong group of beta readers around them that they can rely on for that and go and get a really good content edit uh, and then a line edit, which can wrap in you know, copy editing and proof, proofreading as well. And then maybe they'll do the final proofread themselves or they'll get a friend who's really good at spotting typos to do a proofread for them, things like that. So, right. Yeah. And how would that, so when, when we talked, when we talked last time, just about, you know, putting in illustrators and stuff that yeah, as an, yeah. as an author, you want to make sure that you have a budget for that stuff. Yeah. Like what would you, um, what, if, if you're looking at somebody who wants to, so that's the benefit of self-pub, well, the drawback of self-publishing yeah. is that you have to do all that yourself. That's it. Um, the, the benefit of self-publishing is you own your work compared to like, like, like a publisher. Yeah. Uh, do you, uh, and we, when we, when we talk about, when we, when we talk to like other writers that might be doing like, you know, comic book writing or something like that that yeah. they, they they say like the biggest part of their budget is going to be finding an artist yeah for sure yeah so what would you say is for self-publishers what is the biggest part of your budget that you have to kind of identify to say all right i have to push x amount i have to push you know a chunk of my money aside you know if you look at yeah. a kickstarter where it says yeah. the pie chart like what would you say if someone's saying listen i want to i want to I'm gonna do, I want to do my own book. I want to. I want to self-publish it. Um, what would be your advice to, from a financial perspective, from the business perspective? Um, make sure you, you know, not, my not like a percentage, like a percentage of your money needs to go where. Yeah, you're. yeah. I mean, my first advice is go take some courses before you start doing <laughs> anything else, right? Because you're gonna pay the same amount of money for a course up for you know, like you you can drop two three hundred dollars on a cover if you want to get a professional designer to do it right spend the two three hundred bucks on an online photoshop course you know how to do it yourself you know um i i keep forgetting honestly how privileged a position i'm in when it comes to self self-publishing because it costs me i, I can publish a book for 50 bucks mm -hmm. because Liana is an expert content editor, line editing. Like I'm, a, I'm an English teacher. Line editing is my bread and butter. It's my day job as well as everything else, right? right. Um, and I have taught myself enough Photoshop and had tutorials from online. You know, I've paid for tutorials online. I've worked with friends who are graphic designers, things like that. So I can do our covers ourselves as well. And so it cost me a couple of bucks for a stock image, right. maybe five bucks for an ISBN, and then twenty bucks for a print proof copy, and bam, off I go. Um, but yeah, if you don't if you don't have that luxury, first of all, invest so that you can start having that down the line. Invest in teaching yourself Photoshop and formatting and all that sort of stuff so that you can do all that yourself. Hang out on writers' forums and make friends with people who you know have good editing skills and learn to get be prepared to learn together. You know, like 
we love the story of the fact that the reason that Liana and I are such good friends, and I mean like I am the legal guardian of her children, good friends, right? I headhunted her on Critique Circle, which is a writer's forum about 12, 15 years ago now because I saw her being really prolific in the forums critiquing other people's work and at that time the group of people that I had working with me had kind of gotten busy with life and so I was really struggling to find people who could give me feedback on my work and I saw her and she was prolific and I'm like, I need that person to be friends with me and to read my stuff. <laughs> so I started hanging out on the threads where she was, discovered we had some common interests and away it went from there, you know. So right. you too can headhunt someone with the skills that you need to fill your skill set gap. <laughs> Until such time, your biggest parts of your budget is absolutely going to be editing. Mm. Um, I've never sat down and done the numbers because I haven't had to. As I said, I'm in a very privileged position here, but that's going to be off the top of my head at least 50% of your budget, if not more, mm. if not more. Um, and your cover is going to be your other big expense as well. Formatting possibly, if you can't do that yourself, going to be honest, I do all of our formatting and I do it in Microsoft Word. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I've looked at things like Vellum. It costs money. Right. It's, it's, you know, it costs money. And at the moment we don't have enough slack in our budget as a press to purchase a piece of software that ultimately, like, yes, okay, everyone raves about how much time it saves you and that's great. I'm a control freak and I want to, you know, control how my books look because I want to be able to do pretty things in my book and have like specific headers and layouts and things like with this last series of Liana's when we re-release that, you know, that's got, that's got complicated. Ooh, where are we there? Oh yeah. Okay. It's got complicated stuff going on at the front of each chapter. Right. And I need to be able to control that. So Microsoft Word is where it's at for me. And so that costs me nothing extra to do formatting. And so you wouldn't use the InDesign? Because you said you would Photoshop. You wouldn't use InDesign for that? I've never had to sit down and learn InDesign. Right. And at this point, the learning, the, the amount of time that it would take to conquer the learning curve to do what I need to do mm. is actually also not worth my time. Right. Because I can I can make Microsoft Word dance to the tune I need it to dance to. Um, whereas to learn InDesign is gonna take me, oh man, the whole idea just intimidates. I use it to do our inklet covers because I have a template set up there and it's kind of drag and drop. Right. Um, but yeah, to fiddle around doing a whole book at this point, I know I know what I'm doing with Word. It's just it's straightforward, it's easy. Right. You know, yeah. So, so I guess so. It's like the the answer would be like if you it's if you don't have the budget, if you don't have the money saved up to do this, then make then it's then it's networking. You, yeah. You're making those connections, and and like what you're telling about what you and Liana do is it's almost a a a barter system in a place yeah. where you would do you do the 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 line editing for you, and she does the content exactly. editing for you. Exactly. Now, yeah, and it works really well like that. Yeah. And, you know, based, when it comes down to it, everything costs you either time or money. Right. And, um, you know, it just depends on which you've got more of as to which you're able to, which direction you go in, you know. I, I would love to be able to start paying to outsource some of this stuff, particularly with those inklets. Where are they? There. That roll of inklets there. Oh, my gosh. So we've just made the decision. It's officially official. Uh, we're doing 100 inklets and then that's it for the series. Okay. So that will wrap up at the end of February next year. and. Um, 
while a little, little bit of me is like, oh, but it would be so cool to just finish out the fifth year and have 120 inklets and five years and that's just nice round numbers. Also, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to save me so much time not having to be processing two of these every month, you know? So, right. yeah. And did so you – and you – and you had on there, you had, um, I know last last time we were talking, we we're talking about that new, that subscription based model that Amazon put out. The Katie, was it the Kindle? Oh, the, is it mm, Vela? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, Vela. Yeah. 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 I still haven't got around to investigating that so much yeah. yet. And as I said to you last time, at this point, our priority is still staying as wide as we can. With our distribution so i don't know uh, yeah. last year last year just really got away from me it was really focused on yeah no but so but you kind of also in a way you've you've earned some of that 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 barter in a way for from uh from from liana and also from uh was it thea was the yeah, other Taya, one? yeah yeah Taya? yeah um so and and so do you work with that and 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 Taya, does she uh, what does she bring to the table? Does she bring? Well, so our relationship with Taya is pretty much that of a traditional small or, or a small press. Um, right. She's just, she's one of my authors, and yeah, we have a we have a publisher author relationship there, and yeah, that works for us. So, so yeah. So what if what if we have some people that are listening and say, hey, can I? How do you have? How does that work? If someone wants to come to ink to ink print press and say, can you publish my book? How what would that I, process be? I would love to get to that point in the future, yeah. Um, but I would have to be doing significantly fewer hours at my day job in order to make that viable. Right. Yeah, I've thought about it off and on a lot over the years. Uh, we even thought about like contacting authors about getting their backlist back into print and things like that. But again, everything's time or money, right. um, and with full time day job as well. At the moment, I just, I really need to try and get back to prioritizing actually creating new words because man, last year was, last year was slow. Last right. year was slow. Yeah. So yeah, my, my big priority for the next few years is just going to be creating content and trying to get some more of my stuff finished. And I, and I like what you call a business plan. You know, it was a, a few weeks ago, people talk about their new year's resolutions and people are like, I don't do resolutions, but you can do a business plan, which is like, it's, it's basically putting your plan in place of what you're going to do. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a resolution, but you're actually, you know, it's like, it's that, uh, yeah. Together is putting together your, your, was it the smart goals, your specific yeah. measurable, <clears throat> specific, measurable, achievable, achievable realistic and time bound. Yeah. 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 which, you know, like I create a business plan at the beginning of every year, just loosely going, this is what I want to do this year. It's always optimized for like the best case scenario. So I <laughs> never hit my business plan goals like ever. Right. Um, but what I started doing a few years back is actually just, so I copy and paste. So my business plan format is really simple. I just have a Microsoft Word document. I just list out all of my goals in different areas. So this is what I want to write. This is what I want to edit. This is what I want to publish. This is my marketing focus for the year and just have like a bullet list of goals under that. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning of the next year, I'll copy and paste all of those into the top of the next business plan and I'll color code. And it's just like green. Yes, I achieved it. Yellow. I got partway through or did something on it. Red. No, just flunked that one completely. And then blue. 
if I didn't achieve it, but because that was a deliberate decision, you know, like often you'll get halfway through the year and be like, actually, this is not the direction I want to head in next. Or, hey, I have this completely different opportunity that I need to take advantage of right now. But that means putting these other things on the back burner for a bit. And so that's all I do. And that way it's been really good to see that, you know, there's certain goals goals that keep getting bumped from year to year. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm, if I've bumped it five years in a row, is it really a goal? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, my focus this year is really just on closing out a bunch of projects, which is why I'm not actually, as I said, going to set a formal business plan. Um, I got this for the first time ever, which I am super excited about and not at all affiliated with any in affiliated with in any way uh, but I love it and so we'll rave about it um at the elegant excellence journals for the first okay. time they're done by Hillary Rushford she's a uh an independently successful entrepreneur etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it's I think I feel like that's taken the place of my business plan this year because it's all about like vision casting, looking back over your last 12 months where have you been where do you want to be right. but really from the focus of like weeding out the clutter in your Mm. life I'm like I know I do too much I know that right people tell me this all the time my husband tells me this Liana tells me this I know my diary my diary tells me that I try to do an unreasonable amount of stuff on a regular basis right (laughs) but it wasn't until I really sat down and did this process that I was like oh yeah so much of what I'm doing is actually periphery Mm. and not actually the central core of what's going to get me to where I want to be which is to be able to do this 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 full time you know right. that's the dream so yeah that's that's so that's why I'm not going to do a business plan this year because my focus is really on closing out as many projects as I can so inklets will be done um, and there's a bunch of other things that are just going to be ticked off done um, focusing a bit more as well on paying to outsource some of that stuff so I can tick it off like things that have been hanging over my head for three four years that's admin that needs to be done but I just haven't had time to get to it because I'm one person with another full-time job right um and yeah, trying to clear all that as much as I can so that I can make a lot more space going forward for content creation, which is ultimately what I want to do. So right. I've got a, a new system in place, got my little my diary sitting here right next to me with my little squares. <laughs> Each of those squares is 15 minutes of writing, and that's how much I want to do this year. Oh wow. So coloring in my little my little box every time I do my 15 minutes and just a reminder to prioritize that I guess over all of the peripheral work that I that has been keeping me busy instead so that's a good idea that boxes is that from the book to do that or no that's from my brain and discovering that I have probable ADHD and trying to come up with like a bunch of hacks to like where's the dopamine at you know like give me give me dopamine for finishing things so this is this is why also you can see that they're colored in somewhat erratically because if I fill in a line, my brain goes, but I completed a line. And if I start a new line, then that's opening a new line. And we don't want to do that because right now it's finished. (laughs) Whereas if I color it in completely erratically, then now, you know, I've got six boxes left and every single one of them is finishing off a row. So those next six boxes are just going to be so much easier because it's like finish, 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 finish. Oh, that's a good idea. So it was, I think, was it you or Leon or somebody was talking about that they would do um they would set their timer because i started doing this set their timer for uh well, that's an, my child but yeah <laughs> a prime number that way you, it's not divisible i think they so oh, that must have been liana that wasn't me yeah she no, sets a timer cool. for 37 minutes so that way because if you set it for something that's divisible then you're mentally yeah chunking it out well, 
And one thing that I found that's been really helpful, like I literally just started doing this this week, right? This this mm. box thing is new as of Thursday. But even so in that time, I've written more since Thursday than I did. Okay, so I've written 7,000 words since Thursday. I wrote wow. 45,000 words all of last year. Wow. So, you know, this is really kickstarting me. Um, the, and the other thing that I found surprisingly helpful is instead of setting a timer, set a stopwatch. Oh, because wow. a yeah. timer, I don't know, for some reason, a timer just feels more draconian, you know, mm. like, oh, I have to keep going until the timer goes off. Right. Whereas yeah. if I've got my stopwatch open next to me, I can be like, oh, it's been 12 minutes. I'm nearly there. Oh, it's been 14 minutes. There's only a minute to go. Um, and often what I'm finding is that I actually end up writing past the timer. And I often end up going for 20 minutes instead of 15 minutes instead. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. been really, that's just, you know, little tiny things like that that end up being super helpful. Yeah. So let me, I'm also curious, it's like, so with, <clears throat> now that, you know, knock on, knock on wood, we're, you know, getting near that, getting near the end of this uh, adventure that we've been in the last almost three years. Do you, what, as a writer, and then just being a part of kind of the writing community, what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you've seen like the writing community face during this past few years? It's been a really interesting to watch the general public's buying habits with books over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, you know, initially early on in the pandemic, there was that huge swing towards digital and online because people didn't want to go into physical stores or couldn't go into physical stores. Right. That's kind of swinging back a little bit, but not as not all the way. So I think that. I think that really what's happened with the pandemic is that it's actually just sped up some of the changes that were pretty much going to happen anyway. Um, it's really interesting. The publishing industry tends to follow the music industry, but about 10 years delayed. Oh, wow. So yeah. whereas streaming is like super common with music, we all expect to be able to have a subscription to Spotify or whatever and stream our music. And then it you know, became really commonplace for visual media, you know, Netflix, Hulu, blah, blah, et cetera, Stan. Um, I think that's probably where we're heading with books. Streaming services like that are starting to become a lot more common and a lot more popular. People expect to be able to access books on the same basis as they do all of their other entertainment. So I think that's going to have really interesting implications for the industry and how we provide books to people, particularly as independent authors who are starting to sell more direct, like I, not necessarily personally, but I know that from reports around the community, people are seeing an uptick in people buying direct from the authors and buying from their websites and using places like BookFunnel and PayHip and things like that to get the money directly to the author. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those two collide and how you sort of mesh selling direct to the author, uh, to direct to your reader, but having subscription. Like, do, what does that mean? Does that mean that if you're a popular enough author and you have enough of a backlist, you start doing your own subscription service? And people just, you know, like, which right. I guess is kind of what Patreon is as well. Yeah. So I think it's all about like really creative new ways of delivering content and getting them to people right. um, and looking at how artificial intelligence is going to come into play with that as well. You know, Google Play just launched the, their artificial intelligence narration for audiobooks, oh, wow. which once I clear a bunch of these projects off my plate and have time for, uh, I'm considering looking into for our inklets. And getting those uh, with AI narration to get those up as audiobooks. So yeah, it's it'll be really interesting to see how how AI goes. Like you know, there's there's these 
writing tools that are out there now. I can't remember the name of one that I came across yesterday. I was reading Joanna Penn's blog. She's uh, the creative pen, really big in the in, in the uh, industry and often at the forefront and cutting edge of technology. There's this software that she uses that is essentially an artificial assistant for creative writing. Mm-hmm. So you can type, you know, you're typing along and you type your paragraph in and you're like, I'm stuck. And you click on different buttons depending on what you want it to do. Like, do you want it to rephrase what you've written? Do you want it to give you another word for what you're stuck on? Do you want it to give you a prompt as to what happens next? And it will kind of, it will almost like co-author the story with you. Right. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, the the fact that artificial intelligence is getting to the point now where it can write news articles and almost short stories that are indistinguishable from human created and the implication that that's going to have on the industry whether that's going to turn it into a, like a two-speed economy of of artificial intelligence fiction being like the the accessible level, and then you know human created fiction being the artisanal premium product, or or what that's going to look like, you know who knows? I just it's it's equal parts terrifying and exciting. I think because I think I really think that in ten years' time, the way that people write and consume fiction is going to be completely unrecognisable to compared mm. to 10 years ago. You know, that 20-year that leap between, say, 2010 and 2030, I think is going to be massive in terms of how we, yeah, author and consume our fiction. Wow. Well, it's, it's weird. It's like it's if you, you, now that you're saying that, it's like the, the written word is almost like the last vestige of pure human creation like we've you know you've there's you know the stories that you heard like over the last you know dozens of decades of where people like oh a monkey could paint that like you know be be like or music this music was created by a computer yeah but no one's ever been able to say a computer wrote this like like actual like to that made it would make it harder for people to make that indistinguish that's interesting it is like the the author is is, is the last pure well, human I think, thing. I think it's really telling that the Alliance of Independent Authors now has a subsection in their code of ethical conduct about artificial intelligence and about the fact that it's ethical to declare where you have and haven't used artificial intelligence to assist in the creation of a product and all this sort of oh, wow. thing. So, yeah, I think that's that's really telling, I think, of where they see the industry going for sure. Yeah. Right. Huh. It's how much of it, um, and I'm I'm also wondering too about the purity of it. Where you're talking to cartoonists, where they will, um, they will find shortcuts just to make sure. Like, listen, I just want to make, I I want to, I have, I have a story to tell. It's still my story, but I've been, I'm utilizing different resources to make sure that I can do it in an expedient way. Do you see that there's going there, that there could possibly be that kind of rift between authors, like? That's not a pure way. That's because we see that with cartoon. It's like you didn't draw everything out by yourself. You cut and pasted in the I see this is the same image you use from page. Do you see that there's going to be uh, that, like you said, the, the artisanal way or just the just the, the the writers that just say, I have five stories I want to tell and I'm going to and I'm going to do it in the most expedient way possible to make it entertaining for my readers. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think there will be that divide. I mean, you look at any of the technologies that have been introduced ever 
back to the printing press, you know, where people are like, that's not a real book. You printed it on a printing press. My book's real because I hand wrote every single word of it on this cow skin, you know? Um, Yeah, so of course there's going to be that divide until it becomes normalised and the next big thing comes along to disrupt and then people are complaining that that's a mark of inauthenticity. And so, you know, the whole thing's circling around, what does it actually mean to be an authentic creator of something in the first place? Like, to, to to be an authentic creator, do I have to use my finger? Does it make it less authentic that I've used a pen to make a mark compared to using a finger to make my mark? Like at, at what, where do we draw that line of right. authentic versus not authentic? When is something just a tool to help us create something? And when is it a co-creator? And when does it then become the creator? I think these are really interesting and difficult philosophical and moral issues that we as a society are going to be forced to grapple with over the next 10 and 20 years, you know, as this technology becomes more and more powerful and more and more a part of our lives for sure. Right. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea that there's that, there's so much of that dialogue happening now in the, the writers, writers world. Getting there. It's getting there. It's still, it's still a little bit niche at the moment, but you know, it's starting to become more mainstream. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned what the, the Independent Authors Association is that? Yeah, Ali, Ali, is that how they say it? I don't know. It's A L L I, the Alliance of Independent Authors. Okay. One of the big self-publishing, independent publishing. Okay. And is that yeah. something that you recommend someone to? Is it you have to be a member for that, or is that just like a? Uh, uh, you can get. I think you can sign up for their newsletters for free. Um, but there are definite benefits of being a member. The reason that we choose to be a member as Inkprint Press is because it gives us it, it waives the fees basically for Ingram Sparks Publishing. Uh, so we use Ingram Spark to create our print books. Uh, and if you don't, if you're not a member of Ali, then they then it's um, you know pay to play basically. Oh wow! Whereas yeah, being a member of Ali will give you a certain number of discount codes per month. I think it's five discount codes per month at the moment, um, which they've only just recently moved to that model. It used to be an annual code, and then they recently, in the middle of last year, they introduced a new model where Ingram Spark has decided that they want to limit that to being a five per month which is playing havoc with our inklet schedule because normally I would do, I would batch process them all because it's more efficient. You know, it's so much more efficient to sit down and create 12 inklets at a time or 24, you know, the whole year of 24. Now I have to drip feed it throughout the year because I can only do a maximum of five coupons at a time. And every inklet involves two coupons, one for the first copy, one for the final copy. So this is another reason that I'm like, okay, yeah, we really need to stop the inklets at 100 because this is just gonna, this is gonna do my head in having to do it like this. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the primary reason that we're um, with that we joined Ali to begin with is to get access to those discount codes. But yeah, such such great, uh, really rich information. A lot of what I'm talking about in terms of um, you know cutting edge of what's happening in the industry. That's a really good source to go to to find that information and to keep on top of that news so yeah right wow i found it really beneficial so far yeah yeah cool wow i think we're already knocking on the hour again amy so gosh yeah, it goes nowhere I don't. <laughs> um so this is great so so you say you got your business but you got i'm sure you got more things that we can probably have you come back on again for and always always <laughs> yeah well, I, I gotta ask you before I gotta ask you before we go. Uh, what's the status of your your bus? The bus that your husband was working on. Oh my yeah. gosh, the bus! Oh my gosh, the bus! <laughs> COVID, COVID is the state of the bus. Right. 
Sydney's been locked down since July, basically. Um, oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we we couldn't really have like safe access to the bus since from July till about December. My husband's work has really picked up in the last um, six months as well. So that's been a nice trade-off at least. You know, he hasn't been able to get to the bus, but he's been really busy here at home. Um, but, yeah, we're just starting to talk now. We actually were just having a conversation about that last week, about where the bus is at and the fact that he needs to start scheduling some more weekends to get up there and finish it. He reckons he's got about maybe three weeks of full-time work left on it. Wow. So at this point he might even just pick a week when he's when he can uh, you know defer some of his work again benefits of being self-employed right. benefits of being self-published <laughs> work your own schedule um yeah just just um defer work for a week maybe and head on up there in for a week in February and just try and get back into it again because it's been sitting there hopefully not leaking or rusting for <laughs> also hopefully. the other the other thing now is that we've we've bought a house. You know, we bought this house three months ago in October. We moved in halfway through October, and we are renovating the whole thing. Right. Like I mean, the whole thing. I think the only rooms that won't be touched are the two kids' bedrooms. Um, he went to do the laundry as like a quick, you know, yep, summer holidays are here. December, January, going to do the laundry because that's relatively cheap. Get it done. Have a room completely finished. Oh look, there's asbestos sheeting in the floor. <laughs> So then we had asbestos sheeting in both the bathrooms, so the ensuite and the main bathroom and the floor of the laundry. The guys who gave us a quote are friends of a friend, and so they gave us a fantastic quote, but it meant that we had to get it all done at once. Oh, wow. And so we got it all done at once, and we don't, ha- like, we don't have a functional ensuite, and the, mas- like the main bathroom is only functional because my husband saved all the pieces from the two showers that they had to pull out, and it's like si- literally silicon and black gaffer tape. I kid you not. That is oh, wow. what is holding our shower together right now, and it's like <laughs> no longer than a three-minute shower. Otherwise, the steam will get in there too much and will loosen the gaffer tape, and we can't afford for like, and it's like black plastic sheeting around the walls to try and prevent moisture from getting into the gyp rock, into the plasterboard. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So the, at the moment, the bus is just like, yeah, man, we just got to get this finished as fast as possible, <laughs> have a couple of weeks holiday in it, and then maybe put it up for sale and then focus on finishing the house, you know? Right. If, you, if you're interested in seeing what's going on with our house, it's mostly garden focused, but I've got a new Instagram account going. It's Dusk. I saw that. Yeah. Oh, you got a newest. It's not your Amy Lawrence one. Yeah, not my Amy Lawrence one. It's, I've, I've separated this off so that my Amy Lawrence one doesn't get spammed with like Renault and garden stuff. But right. Dusk Wood, so D-U-S-K, D-U-S-K, Dusk Wood, W-O-O-D, okay. A-U for Australia. Right. Dusk Wood A-U and you can like jump on there and follow along and see what's happening. Like I said, mostly with the garden because this is the first time I have ever had a garden. Like, right. So this this block is... Okay, so a quarter acre is a thousand square meters, right? This block is eight hundred square meters, so it's oh, nearly wow. a quarter acre, and this is by far, hands down, the biggest yard I've ever had in my entire life. So super excited to have a vegetable garden! Oh my gosh, we went away for ten days, and the pumpkins are taking over the world. I have pumpkin vines! The leaves are like bigger than my face. It's so <laughs> exciting! Like everyone tells you that plants just grow and produce food, and I'm like, yes, this seems like a logical thing for them to do. But oh my gosh, they're just growing and producing food. <laughs> so yes, Duskwood AU. If you're interested in seeing the garden and occasional snippets of the Renos of the house as well. Cool. <laughs> 
All right. Excellent. So that's the long Good. Answer. Well, that's it. it. Sounds like you got plenty of stuff, plenty of things keeping you busy. So, yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. too many things. I always have too many things. I need to fix this somehow. <laughs> but anyway, closing projects. This is the year for closing out projects. We'll be good. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, Amy. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me back. I love being here. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> They come to the door and I'm just like ears to make sure someone's answered the door, but they have. <laughs> the dishwasher, I'm so excited. <laughs> we moved in here three months ago. The kitchen is older than I am. I'm not exaggerating. It is actually physically older than I am. There is no dishwasher and I am gluten-free because of probable celiac, which means that you can't just dunk all the dishes in a sink and have the crumbs all flying around oh, and have everything. Right. So I have to sit there and, like, hand rinse under running water every single dish before I then wash the dishes. And I'm just, I hate housework and this is killing me. So that's our dishwasher. And I'm very excited. We can't install it. <laughs> there's, the, there's nowhere in the kitchen to actually install it because we're, gonna, we're renovating the whole thing. But, you know. At least we will physically have a dishwasher on site. That is a step.